Hej och välkomna till Wag the Dog, en idrottspodd med motivation och talang. Och jag är med mig Magnus Lindvall och själv heter jag Johan Falby. Och idag var också en eminent gäst som vanligt med oss. Det handlar om idrott, vet ni. Det handlar om motivation och det handlar om talang. Good evening uh, to this uh, late night special show in Stockholm. And we are going to do this in English. It's exposure time for me. I hate li- uh, listening to myself when I speak. Swedish, so I don't know what how I could handle this. I'm what very, <laughs> I'm very, um, I'm very curious about how you're going to introduce our guest. I'll do that now then, because uh, tonight uh, we have uh, the rock star of sports psychology sitting here beside us, and uh, I'm, uh, I want to introduce introduce Sean Cote, the eminent rock star of sports psychology in the world. Welcome. Thanks for the introduction, and uh, but I don't play any music and I'm really not a rock star. It's, it's really nice to have you here. And uh, of course, we're going to talk about uh, youth development and all the, the great uh, research you're instigating and uh, inspiring all over the world, I think. Uh, so tonight I'm sitting here with two, two researchers. Two professors, how will you survive? It's going to be interesting. <laughs> Except being a rock star, What other stuff are you doing? <laughs> that's, a, that's actually a polite Stockholm way of saying, who are you and what do you do? Yes. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, Jean Côté. So, I'm uh, presently at Queen's University. So, uh, researcher. My uh, doctorate was in sports psychology and uh, done a lot of research on athlete development, coaching, parents and friends. So, I'm really interested in the social, psychosocial environment of youth sport. Uh, I, d- I did a lot of work on expertise, but now really my focus is on youth sport and trying to understand the best environment for for kids to grow in to play sport. Just and to put this in in perspective, how many international publications research? Uh, uh, well, you know, around two hundred or yeah. yeah. How many yeah. chapters? Book yeah, chapters. Uh, maybe fifty or sixty or. You yeah. one don't yeah. do this. This is so <laughs> unnecessary for a colleague of his sitting next to you who who actually likes himself and think I'm 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 quite successful by my standards. And then you ask this question to world famous researcher and he just throws out two hundred papers. <laughs> I'm so far behind. So Magnus, how, how many have you done? Be, Magnus, please. I'm not going to dignify that with an but, answer. Either. But he didn't ask how many good papers. How many good papers? Yeah. <laughs> One one ninety seven. I can't compete no, on that no, level no, as well. No. Perhaps I have. I stopped counting at fifty, so that's my high okay. ego. Let's get down to business. Yeah. Topic number one. Sean, uh, what did you bring to Sweden tonight? Well, uh, you know, I, I, um, uh, the, the, my whole presentation today was about uh, coaching and about coach education. And I think uh, there's 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 an issue in sport about education, and it, and a lot of the education for coaches is based on professional knowledge and teaching coaches about their sport and sport specific knowledge. But when we think about sport and youth sport and coaching, I think it's a lot. It's very important to think about that coaches are mo- a lot more can do a lot more in sport than just teaching sport skills, and. Um, And, and sport is is an ideal activity for personal development, and mm. we need to teach coaches how to interact with kids and how to how to do that, how to, how to use sport as a vehicle for positive youth development. Yeah. So, what's your experience if you look at at uh, coaching courses around the world? Uh, I know a little bit about the Swedish courses, but what's what's your international experience? Well, I, you know, we did a, we did some systematic review of, of education of training for coaches, and and most of most of the training is about sport, and it's not about human being and, and about interactions, and uh, and and very few uh, courses are based on research. Uh, a lot of it is it's a good idea, and let's do it, uh, and they're not evaluated either. They're no. not so so we don't really know if the, if they're effective or not. No. So, so what kind of, what do you think, what kind of uh, evaluation criteria should you use for an effective coaching course? Or I well, I, I think we need to uh, we need to implement a little bit more evaluation of these courses and and see if it does have an effect on coaching behaviors and also on athletes' outcomes and really try to understand. Uh, what what is the effect of coaches' training, and how do we how can we measure that effect? Yeah, I actually, I actually, I say, I actually read 
that paper <laughs> last <laughs> night. Okay. That's, that's a risk when you have another colleague, a uh, researcher at the co- that he actually read it. Uh, I think it's a really, really interesting piece of paper you did. And one thing that struck me was that you so like put the point on that it's that we're lacking theory in many of these coaching uh, educations. What, what what is the problem when we lack theory? It's not a, it's not that much theoretical backbone in it. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think. Uh, not having theory, then then it becomes a little bit hard to explain, to explain what what's going on and to explain changes, and uh, so so having a good theory and a vocabulary that we can talk and that we can use to talk about concepts, to talk about development, is very helpful, so so that people can communicate with each other and can talk about those skills that we that we need to uh, coaches to learn. Yeah, it's really hard also to. As an analogy, if you don't have any sort of like any theory behind, it's like orienteering without a map or without like a compass. It's really hard to know when you reach the target how to get back again. Very, very, very true. Yes. But well, then again, when you present theory, uh, I think that some coaches get scared or or they back a little bit and they feel uncomfortable in that situation. So how should you overcome that? Well, I th- I think to me that's very important that there is theory, but you don't have to tell people about the theory. Mm-hmm. I think if you base the if you base what you transmit mm-hmm. and and you have to translate that theory to language that is understandable by coaches and understandable by athletes, but they don't need to know the background mm-hmm. and and you know. So for example, I know several uh, NGBs in the, in uh, in Sweden now they work with self-determination theory and it's getting more and more into this coaching educations and so yes. on. So what do you actually say the t- the theory is not that important, but mm-hmm. The effect of on how to use it is is more important. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we'll talk later about our transformational coaching workshop, which is really based on theories and research. But when we do the workshop with the coaches, we don't really tell them where it comes from, or but but it's just there's a basis to it. So there are steps now in, towards integrating theory and and research into Swedish coach educations in some some of the you know, sporting feder- federations. Uh, but it's it's going really slow. <laughs> I would like it to speed up, and also integrating the theory and the practice. What what are your best suggestions for doing that? Uh, well, it's a, it's a tough thing because research will always be behind practice. You know, like we we you cannot coach and make every decision based on research. Like it, it it's 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 insane, and then coaches have to make decisions all the time. I think to me the best way is, um, you know, people say evidence-based, but I would say, you know, uh, evidence and form. Like, you know, having coaches aware of certain theories, of certain research, and 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 really informing their practice on that. But uh, I, I think to me uh, it goes a little bit overboard when you when you come up with recipe and when you tell coaches what to do at every stage of development. And then I don't think that's useful. Coaches are able to to take information, use that information in the best way and be creative about it. Uh, so, so so it should inform the practice, but at the same time, I don't think we have enough research to tell coaches what to do at every stage of development. And yeah, uh, the, I mean, often the maps we have, the theories, is not GPS exact maps like we have in our, in our cell phone these days. It's more like, more broad, like the old... Um, old people sailing across the world, Columbus and the guys, they didn't have exact maps, but they had rough maps that were quite useful anyway. So I think we can see, view our theories like rough maps and compasses in a really, really complex territory. Exactly. Yes, as guideline. guidelines. Guidelines yeah. of, of that would help inform what they're doing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Normally I talk about that there are things we shouldn't do. We know that. Mm-hmm. Hit the kids or whatever. So you shouldn't do that. And there are some things you should do, actually. Uh, uh, creating relations, for example, and how mm-hmm. you do that. There are some good guidelines. And in between there, there are more or less educated guesses yes. in my world. And uh, theory will inform on how to guess a little bit better sometimes. And those that are uneducated or doesn't understand or, or know about the theories, they will probably or sometimes make less educated guesses. Yes, yes. Uh, yes, and, and and I think by providing a little bit of a theory, a little bit of a background, you could be a lot more creative too. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think coaches need to be creative. 
you know, I think the last thing we want to do is create cultures that do the same thing all the time. With the, you know, so so you want to keep that creativity there. So by having a few guideline and 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 posts that 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 coaches can refer to then they can they can shape that to their environment their culture the context that they're in and 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 i think that's that's a very important thing to do yeah and it's very easy <laughs> <laughs> so uh to conclude this this topic what, what what are the best things i'm sitting here with two professors so how can we implement this in the best way into the sporting federations and and into the Swedish or international sporting area. You want to go at it? <laughs> no, I'll send <laughs> the ball yeah. over to the guest here. Well, I, I, I think to me the best thing would probably be to provide those rough guidelines, those principles, those things that we know uh, are, you know, based on research that we know is true or, 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 or is effective or and then let let people do that and let people I think the best example and I don't want to uh, you know want to make this longer than but but the biggest and, and we'll talk a little bit about sampling and but you know just just that principle just that I think there's enough evidence to say that sampling is a good pathway to elite performance to participation personal development so just take that and give this to a coach and say now Now structure your structure your season. Structure your based on that principle. Hmm. Based, that early specialization is probably not the best way to develop athletes. Yeah. And instead of sometime over prescribing, like this is what you need to do at six, at seven, at eight, at nine. You know? And this is so. the questions you get when you when you have talks around. <laughs> yes. What should <laughs> I do with my? Yeah. Just yeah. take that principle and yeah. then use it. You yeah. Know, and, and create your own. I brought something to the studio. I <laughs> bought it, it, something it's a cookie. here. It's a chocolate chip cookie. Mm. I'm mm. not. I'm not because we're not sponsored by this this uh, company that I bought it from. So I'm not going to say what it is. But I bought a chocolate chip classic cookie. Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to do and try to do an analogy of this cookie. What we want to do in research is we want to get these. There are some nice parts in the cookie, the chocolate chips that we want, and there are some more boring parts of this cookie. The rest of it. So how can we get the, like the the good part, the chocolate chips, to coaches? Uh, how can we get like the best pieces of the evidence, the best pieces of our research that we do out to coaches so we can be like perceived as relevant? Mm -hmm. Because that's basically what we should be doing. We are paid by tax money as researchers to inform, as we discussed before, stakeholders, parents, coaches, and like people paying tax whatsoever and our small kids as well. How can we be relevant? How can we get the message out in the best way so people listen and actually so like take it in and use it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's a question <laughs> that's a long, long question <laughs> <laughs> i mean in your in your when you when you work back home in canada mm -hmm. as a researcher mm -hmm. so i guess that you are also out in the community and you you discuss with coaches and involved in society and so on yeah so you know My research, uh, right now, I don't know if it's like this in Sweden, but in in, uh, in Canada right now, when you get money to do research, you have to have a knowledge translation. And I don't know if that's the right knowledge mobilization, knowledge translation agenda to your grant. Yeah. And uh, what people have done is that they write the grant and then they do the research. And then when the research is done, they write a blog or they put it on Twitter and then they say, this is my knowledge translation. That's the wrong way to do it. And really what we need to do is, a, is an integration of that knowledge translation. And it has to start with researchers that talk to coaches, that talk to athletes, that talk to organization before they set up the project. And then that's, that's, that's really knowledge dissemination and knowledge mobilization. So, so what is the issues? What are the problems with, with your organization? and with, so, so really working in partnerships with athletes, with coaches, with organization, with sport organization, right from the beginning and come up with the research problem, the, the issues, do the research, but keeping that communication alive all the time so that it, it's always relevant. It's always relevant to the consumer, to the people that will use that research. And, and I think to me that would be probably the, you know, the, 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 it is probably the best way to do and, and get that knowledge out there. And um, I agree totally, uh, but I also know that uh, there are some 
really good researchers around the world in Sweden and so on that are doing this, but still there's problems getting through. And still there's a, a, a quite big leap between doing the research, uh, delivering the research res results in a practical way, and then the next leap is to actually practicing mm -hmm. the, the, the effects uh, or, or the things that they, they come up with with in the in the research yeah. so the, the, uh, so how do how do you <laughs> <laughs> but i would say the the uh, the perspective you're raising here sean is is uh, i would say it's quite rare in research in sweden that we do that that we actually initiate the contact <coughs> in, in the beginning that we do this in a bottom-up way normally it's it is top down you get the money you do the research and then afterwards you will get the you want to try the chocolate chips and, and hand it out to the people yeah and, yeah and really from a top-down perspective more or less say this is relevant guys listen to this and it, i think it would be very different if if we were more able to do like you say from the beginning initiate the partnership discuss in an authentic way with with the coaches like and parents what are the pressing issues that we want to in everyday practice that we want to really raise yes. and can we help each other from the beginning to try to understand S some of the questions they have we might already have quite a good answer from a best evidence perspective on yes. and other parts we need to together find out more how we can do this yeah. so in the beginning have a like a joint uh, th that is but it's hard because it goes against what we normally do i think is yes honest. and it takes longer it you takes know and <laughs> it takes negotiation and it's you know because as a researcher this is what i think is good and then you're as a coach you come to me and say i don't need that well okay let's let's try to talk a little bit and see where we can where we can meet and so it takes longer it's but but i think the the product then becomes more valuable. And I have um, a quite good example. We, we A few years ago, uh, we had a big discussion, but we changed the, the way of uh, keeping tables for youth kids, uh, for kids mm -hmm. and everything around in, in soccer or football and, and, and ice hockey and, and so on. And uh, the research question um, I would pick up from a coach is, is this good? Or not good, mm. and then you understand. I mean, keeping tables or not is a huge undertaking to research. Mm -hmm. But they are looking for that easy answer, yes or no. Mm. So this is this is like the problem I'm, I'm pointing at because the research question the coaches in Sweden then are posing to the researchers is not possible to to do one study mm -hmm. to just examine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you clever guys think about that. Well, you know. I think you you have to look at why why do kids play sport you know and 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 I, I'm not sure exactly here the age group ex where they did that but you know you look at ten years old when they play sport on the street and when they play basketball on the street or soccer in the park or they keep score but they don't keep the standing or the tables for long and and it doesn't have consequences you know you lose ten nine in a soccer game in the park. And you go home and you go have dinner and then it's done. It's finished. You, they, you don't talk about it. But that competitive environment is what makes sport. Hmm. That's why. So I think keeping that score is not a bad thing. And, and then what do kids do in the park? They just make sure that the teams are equal because it's not fun if you're going to beat someone 10 to 1. Hmm. So, so, so I think kids know how to do it, you know. And, and then uh, the standing or the tables really at that age doesn't really matter. And we know from talent development research that you know it doesn't really matter if you finish at the top or at the bottom at that age because it doesn't you know we we cannot select those best players so 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 i think you know to me keeping the competitive aspect is not a bad thing if it's done in a positive way but the long-term consequences of keeping tables yeah. doesn't matter and and the issue here is uh, how can we with research picking the chocolate parts of your great cookie and I'm actually quite hungry I would like to eat that but <laughs> so so that that's the that's the main issue still and uh, but I think also we need to work like, with that also it's I think it's a risk that also we perhaps should that we often are tempted to sell only the chocolate chips the simple truth mm -hmm. they just want just tell us as you said you want just tell us how to do it the 10, we just want, hours exactly we yeah. just want the chocolate chips we don't want the whole bloody cookie mm -hmm. it's too complex but i think yeah. we as the researchers also need to to sell that message to we it would be good to understand not just the, the, the chocolate chip but the whole cookie yeah. because it's going to be complex otherwise mm. and that leads us into topic number three
And I, I think we have to start talking to each other before we sit down oh, in the studio. Oh, this is much more fun not <laughs> to talk it's like, before. It's all integrated tonight. But uh, from the discussion we had with the earlier two topics, I would like to uh, ask you guys. You're you're there doing your research in a very practical areas, both of you. And uh, I would like you to present your best ways of presenting the chocolate chip cookies in an integrated way so you understand it's a whole cookie, not just a chocolatey part, to the coaches and the and the, the Swedish uh, coaches uh, around the country. Good luck. Well, I, I, I can just back off it because I'm not that relevant as Sean is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do as much practical use in the real sense yet, aside from this part. So I think I just... Then again, give the ball to Sean, who is probably much more relevant in his research and closer to to the practical world. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think uh, I don't know if you want me to focus on one specific area of the research or present kind of an overview or just like uh, how do you present evidence or or uh, the the best educated guesses to the coaches in the best possible way because they want just the chocolate chips. Yeah, yeah. So I'm invited quite often to speak to coaches. But the talk that you saw this morning, which was for an audience of uh, researchers and also coaches and administrators, would not be a lot different to coaches. Because I think coaches can relate to research. They can understand where it comes from. And and, and, they, and I think, so, so I would not change, you know, what I do very much to an audience of coaches or to an audience of researchers. I, I want to give them, this is the basis and this is, but I try to really give them a foundation of where it comes from. Where does the research come from? And where, and, and I think presenting models, pre, you know, going back to theory, presenting in a simple way, but try to integrate things. Try to see, you know, things are not done in isolation. Things are, you know, there's a finding here. It's, it's yes, this is great to, uh, to do sampling, but sampling in an environment where there has to be good relationships between people and it has to be done in a setting where where it's positive and so so you know if you just take one thing it's not it's it's way more complex you know it's your chocolate chip cookie <laughs> yeah I definitely uh, agree that i think i think you need to make an interesting story yeah i think too often in research we just i mean we just we just talk about one specific tree and really discuss the details of the tree and, and yeah, many yeah. people are not interested in that aside aside from us nerds in research we're really interested in the details mm. of the tree we need mm. to sell the sort of the forest the whole context around it and make it a good story in that case it's going to be relevant and it's going to be interesting as like we work now with our team and when, with my group with the self-determination theory we've been discussing this part for quite some time we've been just writing up a book about it in Swedish they're mm. just going to try to make it relevant for practitioners and stakeholders uh, and that's going that has been a huge challenge and f- for it to work we need to make it relevant and exciting and we need to make it as as a story in exactly. such yeah, yeah, and yeah, especially yeah. As, yeah. as complex theory as self-determination theory which, which is the more you sort of like get into it the, the more complex it gets mm-hmm. you need to take the complexity and make it as simple as it gets without sort of like violating it yeah. Yeah. What, what do you guys think about uh, internet and, and uh, uh, do you call it distance studies in, in English or like you, when you're not meeting you're sitting in different areas of the country and you, you log into a, a chat room or, or a room an educational room in some mm. way what's your take on that? Do you have that in Canada? Like this kind of yeah, like on, online, online online courses. Teaching, online yeah, because courses, you talked yeah. about relations and yes, stuff even yes, in yes. the educational uh, yes. setting. Yeah. Well, you know, we have this, uh, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, but our transformational coaching workshop, and I've been asked to do it online. And, and you know, people, uh, and I did it a couple of times online, but it really doesn't have the same, uh, the same, the same outcome, the same results. So, so, so I think, you know, to me, there's certain content you can offer online uh, what that people can learn by themselves. But when you were talking about interactions, you're talking, you want coaches to talk, a lot of the workshop is based on interaction between coaches and they learn from each other. You just give them stuff to think about, to talk about. Uh, that's a lot more difficult to do online. And, you know, people say, well, we can do it and you can have, but it's not the same, you know. As is it still worthwhile just to, 
to meet the, the huge, the, the bigger crowd. I, I guess it could be, but again, you they don't get the same results. You know, participating in this in this activity in person and interacting with people is not the same as when you do it online. Glöm inte att följa oss på hashtag #WagTheDogPod. To the meaty part. The meaty part. Yes, uh, let's get right into it. And Sean, you have already spoiled <laughs> no, <laughs> what we're going to talk about. It's really interesting. And uh, today we were at the uh, research practice conference in Stockholm. Uh, so, uh, and you had a great talk. One of the parts were actually really interesting about transformational leadership. And uh, I think we should start to talk about what is it? Sure, yes. Uh, so transformational leadership is a theory of uh, uh, in, in, that, that, has, that, that has come from the field of business and that have been used in a lot of different areas. So we're including education, military, and, and it's a theory of leadership that really is uh, focused on the development of people, the development of followers, so that your followers become leader and then you empower them to become to become good citizens and good people and, and, and leaders, and, and you treat them like that. So it's, uh, it's based on the idea of uh, there, there's kind of four major categories of, of, of behaviors, and the first one is idealized inference, which is basically as a leader, what are your values? What kind of values do you have? Uh, the second one is inspirational motivation. How do you empower, how do you, how do you inspire people to follow you as a leader? Uh, the third one is intellectual stimulation, which is basically the idea of getting people, getting your follower involved in 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 the uh, in the process, in the process of leading, in the process that they're involved in. And the fourth uh, element is individualized consideration. So really looking at people as individual, as 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 people. So those are the four I of transformational leadership. And there's you know quite a bit of research that has been done. And uh, around the, around that, through questionnaire research and through uh, and, and showing that those types of behaviors would are, are really effective at at at, uh, at helping people to develop. Do we do we know anything about? I guess this transformational uh, theory is more. We have more research in organizational setting, like for companies and stuff. Yes, yes. But do we know anything if it's if it's more relevant and more applied, even if we look to sports, or if it's more suitable to use as a framework in organizations? Yeah. So, uh, so, so one of the thing about uh, so there's lots of lots of research in organizational uh, psychology and organizations and businesses. Uh, Showing that this has a positive effect in sport, uh, the research that has been done have shown so so that people, leaders or coaches that are more transformational will lead to better group cohesion, so some performance, better performance, uh, better personal development, and and so so there is some research. The problem with the research in all of those areas is that it's all been done through questionnaires. So basically, it's based on the perception of a leader. So you give a questionnaire to to athletes or to followers, and you ask them to rate their leader or their coaches on those four eyes. Uh, and I think it's a little bit so. If you like somebody, they may not actually do what they're doing, but you may rate them pretty high. So uh, so we approach this in in coaching and looking at this, and we said, okay, what are those behaviors that coaches do that that fits within the trans that are transformational? And really try to identify those behaviors, and this is where we're at now. You know, we we identified a series of eleven behaviors that fit within those four I of, of of transformational leadership, and we design an observation instrument. So now that we're able to film uh, practices and games of coaches and athletes, and measure, uh, be, be, and we are able to observe and rate and code those behaviors of coaches. Uh, which I think is, is is a step further than what has been done in terms of uh, questionnaire research. But do you mean then that uh, yeah, personality or whatever you should call it, I don't know, that, but if you're a likable person, that will also affect uh, the, the 
yeah, what 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 the athletes think about you. But if you also add these this these behaviors that will even make the the coach even more effective. Yes. Yeah, so so I I think the the whole thing started with uh, defining what coaching is and the type of knowledge and behaviors that coaches need to have to be effective. And it's for us it started with some observation research where we looked at a single season and we observed coaches at the beginning of a season end of a season and we looked at athletes development throughout the season. So in terms of competence, confidence, connection and character. And coaches that had athletes that rated them higher at the end of the season, we observed them and we looked at those behaviors and we realized through those studies that it was not the professional knowledge and behaviors of the coaches that make the difference. They were more effective because of their interpersonal interactions and those types of transformational behaviors. So this is where we said, okay, well, we we don't train coaches about that. We train them about the sport, sport-specific and professional behaviors. And and this is where we push that a little bit further in terms of that transformational coaching. Mm. From a research perspective, uh, uh, I think it's really interesting that you go in the, in, in the direction of observation because too many things we've been doing, as you said before, is like linked questionnaires. We ask people to rate themselves. Yes. And it's a good way to start. But there are some definitely pitfalls in that, that method. So try to step... Take a stand back and try to observe people instead. I think will, as you mentioned, will get us much further. It would give us much more information about the things we try to do if we if we can come up with like standardized good observation tools. Yes, yes. Uh, the issue and the problem, though, is that it's very time consuming, and uh, you end up with studies with that are very small samples. So, and then you have to rely on some statistics that are, you know, not, not as strong as when you have 2,000 people in a study. So one, one, re, one study that were, you know, we just finished, there's eight coaches. But eight coaches observed three times throughout the season with data that, you know, one hour each takes about five hours of coding. So, so it's a very time, but, you know, some researchers and so would, would, not have, would not look at this as big enough of a sample to, uh, to 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 be to be, but but it is to me to me it is significant. You know when we talked about knowledge translation, knowledge mobilization, you talk to coaches about those behaviors, and that is meaningful to them. You know that's uh, and it's also interesting uh, from a cognitive behavioral therapy standpoint uh, because if you're observing actual behaviors when you action see the actions on the pitch from the coaches, you can also get in there and reinforce it. And also do that together. Uh, I had some uh, some meetings with coaches where they are actually ex- observing e- each other, mm-hmm. not in a systematic way that you are explaining yeah. here, but they are sitting with each other and and they they are filming and talking about their behaviors on the pitch to help them uh, themselves, like yeah. to develop and be more. Um, uh, look at more specific behaviors instead of just okay. I have to be positive. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that also part of the part of the education in some way? Very much. I, I don't think we're there right now. We're doing the. We have the the observation instrument, the uh, uh, coaching leadership assessment system. Uh, that that is a very systematic way of observing those behaviors. But we would like to do exactly what you mentioned there to a, kind of a, have a light version of that system where coaches can look at themselves and really rate themselves in terms of those interpersonal behaviors. So a lot of research on observation have been done looking at um, kind of the pedagogical aspect of coaching. You know, we know the content. We know that coaches, you know, Smith and Small, and, and this is very good research, you know, in the 70s, and, and really, but looking at... Uh, the content. So, so coaches that are effective give a lot of instruction. They praise. They give feedback, and so those are the content of coaching. But our system now look at the how. You know, you can give instruction, but you can give instruction in a div- very different way. You know, if I tell you, uh, "Good job, Johan," uh, you know, and and or "Good job, Johan," and you know, I just change my emotion and my voice. So I, I just. It has it. I, I, it's a very different message, mm. and and I think that's what we need to get at in coaching. I think we know what the content is, or, or we have a good understanding, and that content is important. But the tone, the the emotional tone, the how that message is delivered is very important. The way it is, you know, the way it is received, yeah. and when. 
And when? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah. When? When do you intervene too? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, th- I think it's a really lesson learned. We we wrote a book a couple of years ago about the social psychology sport called Group Dynamic Idrott in Swedish. Then you learned new word. Group Dynamic is Group Dynamic. Yes, yes, yes. So our students in our sport coaching classes in social psychology class in sport, they actually for their evaluation they go out and and their task is to interview a coach or observe. So they use different CBA as you mentioned, different observational tools, and that's basically coming back and having discussion. That's when they felt I think they learned most. To go out in the real world and to get a feeling of how how hard it is to capture behavior and yes, how hard yeah. it is to measure it in a nice way, and I think it does a lesson to be learned also from coaches to observe each other and to to sort like discuss and to to get a feeling for these kind of perspectives when using observations. I think that's really underestimated. Yes, and 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 also to observe each other and observe yourself. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, and and having a framework to observe yourself too. So, so looking at, uh, you know, I, what is idealized influence? Oh, you know, I'm yelling at the referee, but uh, I'm telling the the player not to yell at the referee. And then suddenly you watch yourself doing that, and you say that that's silly. You know what I'm doing here? And and then and then I have I have something that I can say. Okay, that's idealized influence, and I don't do that. You know, I, I so so I think having a framework to understand those interpersonal behaviors of coaches, so so a common understanding, and, and I meet I, I, to to me I think that that's probably the most important aspect of this work is that there could be a lot of other theories, you know, emotional intelligence, authentic leadership. There's a lot of theory there when we, when we you know autonomy supported behaviors from self determination theory. Um, So, that, so, so, so uh, there's a lot of framework that we can use, but I think it's important for coaches to use a common vocabulary when we talk about those interpersonal behaviors. When coaches talk among themselves about soccer skills, about tennis, about they use a vocabulary that they understand each other, you know, in terms of of, of those sport specific skill, uh, and and we need to to get coaches to talk about interpersonal behaviors not at this magic thing that just comes out of nowhere it's 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 real and 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 how can we how can we get coaches to talk about that yes it's, it's a lot, lot of power in labeling things i think that yes, that's one yes, thing that yes. we had such a huge success we've been discussing this in this part before but it's you do science kind of books the best selling books in sweden now is like some book about like colors a communication that's mm. absolutely pseudoscience okay surrounded by idiots but on the same time why does people like, why do people like it mm-hmm. one way i think is because it gives them a vocabulary like you said yes, it gives yes. them labels to discuss something that previously was was quite so like invisible and uh, hard to discuss yes yes exactly yeah 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 so getting down from the labels to the behavior yes And what what do you see? Uh, you you done some uh, coach clinics with these uh, uh, interventions with this method. What what do you see? What yeah. what do you see in in behavioral terms differences from when they enter and when they leave the the program? Yeah. So uh, so the, so the workshop that we have. So it's all based on on the research and those. Ba- basically, the workshop, the essence of the workshop is those eleven behaviors that we looked at that are part of the four I. And, uh, you know, just to give you an example, so idealized influence, we have two coaching behaviors under that. You know, the first one is discussing and modeling pro-social values and behaviors. And the second one is showing vulnerability and humility as a coach. So that's idealized influence. And I won't go through all of them, but there's 11 of them. So the way the workshop work is that we go to coaches, we talk about coaching effectiveness, what it is. We talk about interpersonal behaviors. We talk... And they start realizing, you know, the the one exercise we do is is remember your best coach, the best coach you ever had. And uh, you know, this is a common exercise that people do a, do a lot. But and we ask them to put the quality of those that coach on a on a sticky on a. And then I put on the you know on, on one wall on the left side I put all the interpersonal behaviors, and on the right wall I put all the professional behaviors you know my coach was good uh, a good tactical per- person or hmm. good, good at teaching skills and and what ends up in that is that coaches that are remembered are all it's all about their interpersonal behaviors so that wall is covered with stickies while the the professional side is is there's very little you know there's some but uh compared to the other side and then the coaches said they start thinking oh wow 
you know, the coach that I remember that was influential in my life is that coach that really interacted and connected well with me. Mm-hmm. And then we say, how do you, where, where do you learn that? How do you do this? You know, and, and then we go through, so we talked about transformational leadership, and then we talk about the four I, we talk about the behaviors. So, for example, showing vulnerability and humility. So, uh, so, so the way it, it goes, so we have that behaviors, we tell a story, a coach, and then we show a video clip a coach that would be able to show that. And then we ask them to talk about it, to say, do you, do you ever apologize to your, to your athletes? Have you ever done that? Or, and when you've done that, and, and then they, they, come up with, they come up with their own behaviors. Uh, and, then, and then we ask them to talk about it. And, and, and really, to, that's where they learn. Like, we don't tell them this is what you have to do. Mm-hmm. But within that showing vulnerability, we know that it's a good behavior, that it's a behavior that will create a trusting environment that will... So, so when can you do that? And, and then we have an action card at the end of each one of those. And then they say, this is what I'm going to start doing. This is what I will continue doing. And this is what I'm going to stop mm-hmm. doing. Or, so they come at the end of the workshop, they have a plan. They have a plan, a behavioral plan. Basically, this is the kind of things I want to do more. So to go back to your question. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting. So basically, we looked at, uh, we did a study with those eight coaches. Uh, and then we, we, we observed them before the workshop. We asked them to do the four-hour workshop. We observed them after. And then we saw uh, p-values that are close to 0.05, but very large effect size on the four I. So very large, kind of, you know, if we had more people, we would have a statistical significance. But in terms of effect size, and, and most of those intervention studies rely on effect size more than p-values. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so, so basically, I think it's very encouraging that you can, those are interpersonal skill that you can learn and that you can teach. And, and, and very often t- people say, oh, this is just something that, Again, that comes out of nowhere. But you know, you could you could take people that don't have very good interpersonal skills, and you can improve that. And you, I guess, and, and without labeling them, and without talking about personalities or being likable, like I said before, and so on. And I, I think that's the huge difference in this approach as well, because you have to be spe- specific, and it really doesn't matter who you are as a person, mm-hmm. uh, as long as you're not evil. <laughs> but it's it's about uh, correcting or or adjusting behaviors or reinforcing behaviors as as I see it exactly and and I think very often in those uh, those workshop the coaches just realize oh I do this all the time. Mm. But they realize, oh, this is a good behavior. You know, this is something that... And, and, and then uh, it's soon your turn, Magnus. Be careful. Take so it you're easy. in control uh, here. Sit down. It's very transactional. Sit down. Direct feedback. Now, what I find often when I talk to coaches and then and coaching clin- clinics and so on, there is a resistance because they feel, coaches often feel that they, they are in lack of control when they are yeah, showing vulnerability, for example. Y- Yes, or, yes. So how do you um, how do you work with that? Of course, you told a very good method by okay, discuss this. Yes. But there will be still be a, a a group of coaches resisting very hard. Yes. Uh, so so we, we we go through the the whole uh, all, all leadership style, and one of them is toxic toxic leadership. And we have this video clip where we show some a coach that yells at the kids, and and that one sometimes just takes so long. Because coaches really, oh, well, I have to yell. You know, I have to do this. So, like, they look at the coach and they think sometimes that it's not that toxic. But then we say, okay, well, would you do that in a kindergarten class? Or would you do this with kids at school? Or how would you be perceived as you, you know, you would be fired if you start yelling at kids. And, and, and then they start realizing, oh, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. So, so, so I think, you know, there's, a, there's always coaches that are kind of, oh, well, you know, what's this stuff? But generally, they're very receptive and then they get into this environment where we don't talk about their sport. We talk about relationships. And, and, and it's kind of, they open up, you know, it, but sometimes it takes a bit of time. <laughs> you have, you have, you said you boil it down to 11, 11 behaviors. Yeah. And you have the four categories of the four eyes. Yes. I, I suspect that some of these behaviors and some of the eyes are harder and more challenging to teach and to learn. And the coaches might feel that, well, 
these type of behaviors uh, is like they are easier to learn. Yeah, I, I can like understand them easier, and I can implement them easier. Yeah. but some of them are much harder. Which one, according to your experience in the workshop and the studies you've done, yeah. coaches find hardest to learn of the of the eleven behaviors or the four yeah. eyes? Yeah. So, uh, so that's that's an interesting question. The, the the one that seems to be done and maybe taught in coaching courses is inspirational motivation. Because, you know, it's a, a lot of these behaviors about goal setting, about having a vision, having a mission, you know, for the team. or And that seems to be the one that coaches kind of learn or do in a more natural way. Um, the, the one where coaches, where we interview coaches, it, it, where, where they tell us that they do, but when you observe them, they don't, is intellectual stimulation. And that's, you know, involving asking questions and getting athletes to participate and getting athletes. And, and, and coaches, when you talk to them, they say, oh, I do that all the time. I'm, you know, I'm always asking questions. Losing and you control. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you observe them and it doesn't, it doesn't show up in the, you know, it, they, don't, they don't ask. They, they tell kids what to do and they don't, they don't really involve them in the. So, so that's kind of interesting. Individualized consideration is something that, they don't do that much either. So it's more like that category is more asking athletes about um, their personal life and, uh, and really relating to them, not in the sport, but, but more at a personal level. And that, uh, that seems to be time cons- consuming. Mm-hmm. It is, yes. And, and, the tr- and, you know, you're raising a good point here too. Uh, uh, one of the things that we do and we interview, before we design the workshop, before we develop the workshop, we ask coaches, what are the barriers of, 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 of using those behaviors? And, and one of the things that they say is, I don't have time. So a lot of the workshop is based on you don't need more time because you teach, you, you do, it's just the way you do things. And, and we really try to pass that message around. You know, we really, t- so, so going back, you know, to individual, individualized consideration, there's a lot of time in practice where you can move around and talk to people, you know, talk to kids or break, during break. But it has to be planned. You know, it has you to be... You don't mean you have to talk to everybody at the same time? Like like in a group? No, <laughs> because I, yes, I yeah. find that the most common way of, of communicating. Yes, oh, yes, okay, yes. good work and yes, like yes. that. But and, yeah. Yes, and it doesn't have to be long. You know, we show some video clips where it's, it's a 30-second thing. You know, you just go and say, oh, I heard you had an exam yesterday, and how did the exam go? And that, and then you listen, and then you go, you move on, you know. But just that little consideration, just that little caring uh, act, in in means a lot. Means a lot for athletes. How how do you need to? Because I guess these are the ideas. That these are universal aspects. So the, the four eyes are like they're suitable no matter who you who you talk to and who who you coach. Mm-hmm. But I guess it is a little bit different compared to if you if you coach like seven-year-old kids or 50-year-old kids what 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 are the differences in terms of the four eyes do do they vary in, in terms of how important they are depending on 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 the people you coach like the ages and stuff the, mm-hmm. the maturation age so i don't think i can give you uh, a research answer to this because oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> let's go home now <laughs> yeah there, there's very little research done on transformational leadership with kids Yeah. So a lot of it is done with adults. Uh, I can tell you how I feel about it, though. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> uh, I, I really think that these behaviors, those 11 behaviors, so showing vulnerability with a six-year and seven-year-old, you know, would be very different than with a 15 and 20-year-old. But I think it's still an the behavior is still there. So, so with a six and seven-year-old, it could be just to kick a ball and fall on the ground and and show them that oh, you know, I fell too, or just showing them, you know, being silly a little bit in practice or showing them that you're, 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 you're a human being just like them. And with a 15, 16-year-old, maybe it's another way of demonstrating that vulnerability or that, yeah. yeah. But the four eyes still are still valid in all ages, but with different uh, words and... and, and I, I think with different, yeah, yeah kind yeah. of different actions and yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, it would be comparable to the, the three fundamental psychological needs in self-determination theory I mean, competence, autonomy and relatedness they are 
universal needs, yes. but it's very different the way they are expressed, I guess, when you are six, when you're 15, when you're 45. I mean, it's still, it's just the way they are expressed is different. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a great example. But then, then, then again, when you look at professional sports and the coaches are standing there yelling and, uh, you know, not really behaving the same way you would like them to. Yeah. So is that okay then? I don't really want to talk about professional sport. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different arena. Yeah. I think it's yeah. completely different. You know, yeah. uh, it, yeah. it's it's business. It's entertainment. Mm. It's a show. Mm. It's uh, you know, it's a very small number of people, yeah. and 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 it's for money. It's you know, I think we have to be so so. Coaches are 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 are, are giving a they're. But they're they're dealing with adults though. Yeah. They're dealing with adults that want to be there or that making a lot that makes a lot of money. So, uh, I, I think one of the things that we do in the workshop is we try to avoid as much as possible examples of professional sport that's and of professional that's coaches. That's the right thing. But I can yeah. give my opinion then. I think it's more their own frustration they are trying <laughs> they yes. are getting out than, yes. than yes. they're really trying to influence the players or they're yeah. showing that they are not doing as I, as I want them to do or they are frustrated in some way so yeah. Yeah. I think actually I would recommend uh, transformational leadership in most cases <laughs> even in professional sports yeah yeah <laughs> well you know and, and since you want to talk about it you know you you look at uh, I I think we can we can Give example of coaches, professional that that are doing. You know, I, I'm thinking of Steve Kerr, uh, NBA In, basketball yep. coach of the Golden um, Golden Warriors, or what are they called? Anyway, California. Yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, it was interesting. I think it was somewhere out there where uh, during the timeout, he gives the he gives his players to 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 uh, talk about the play, or talk, and he doesn't get involved. So that's intellectual simulation at its best, you know. <laughs> and we have so, some examples in Sweden as well. Yeah, we have. I mean, for example, we had a classic case. We had a really good. We have a good handball team as well. But we had a legendary handball team a number of years ago with a coach named Benga Johansson, and he was also quite famous for really stepping back okay. when he when he brought the players together, like in in. Um, we had the breaks and so on. Basically, the players did all the intellectual work okay, and stuff. Okay. And he just, but people said he had a self-playing piano. All the players mm. were so good from a professional standard. Yeah, yeah. They were used to like going in there and, and doing their stuff. So he could just back off and let them do the work. Okay, yeah. And it's yeah, easier yeah. when we have, of course, this kind of team. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I don't know if it's a if it's true or not. But uh, one of the players uh, said we don't only have to take care about our tactics, but also bang on you once on. I don't know if it's true. Uh, but um, how is this going to be implemented in Canadian sports? That's a good question. <laughs> so, so this is uh, you know this is a grant that we had a five year grant uh, from the government of Canada. And we really work with coaches. We really work with organizations right from the beginning to try to uh, looking at this and, 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 and try to, to make sure that it is relevant to them, that it is relevant to. Uh, so right now we are in the process of implementing this with different organizations. So Canada Soccer is one um, and and uh, but but we have a lot of demands. There is you know we do the workshop and we have done the workshop, but we have to think about after the grant. And I think that's the problem with a lot of intervention work is that you have money, you have resources to do to to, to design an intervention, and then when you run out of money, then suddenly it dies. And then it just it was a good project, but so I'm really keen of making this work and making this. Uh, so I'm. You know, we're talking with the Coaching Association of Canada, trying to see if this could become a module to 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 implement with the, within their coaching system. Uh, we're, we've been talking to the IOS, uh, uh, the Olympic Committee in the U.S. Um, so, so I think there there's a lot of interest. And when coaches do it, it's a, but it's just a question: How can we sustain this, and how can we train people so that they can offer the workshop? And that they, you know, it's it's it, we need to keep the quality. We need so so it's a bit of a you know it 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 is a challenge, uh, but uh, you know we have good people that that you know I think I think that to me that would be the next the next step, and I really want to make as this as long work. as you stay away from Canadian hockey, so we can beat you sometime. <laughs> I, I'm happy. <laughs> on that on that note, I think a more uh, pressing issue is how do we get this thing to Sweden? 
<laughs> Are you open for collaboration? For sure. This this actually sounds. I mean, jokes aside, this actually sounds like a, a really really interesting yeah. uh, workshop and idea that that would be nice to be able to bring to the Swedish coach. Uh, I mean, education system and so on. Yeah, and I, and I would and and again, you know, and and this is not, you know, I would really like to implement it and and to train people and if people are interested in the research. Uh, to do research and and to 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 see if it is effective in a Swedish you know context and yeah. so so the, we have a manual right now to train the trainer so basically you know you go to it to offer the workshop and to be able to offer it to uh, but uh, for sure we're open to uh, so uh, so we can send a message uh, that Sean Cote is uh, possible to buy. <laughs> I think you actually have a have, have a solution. I have a so like a challenge to all the Swedish elite clubs, at least the one who makes really a lot of money. Uh, all elite clubs should actually hire one researcher. We had an actually a pod not too long ago where they actually have they actually pay people, pay researchers okay. in their club, an elite club, mm. and. Why is that so spectacular? Because it basically never happens. So that mm-hmm. would be brilliant if the clubs actually with their own money could like give whatever 10, 15, not 100%, but give a research time for 10, 15, 20% of yes. their own research so someone could actually do the research, implement it and evaluate it within the clubs. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And yeah. It, we're, we're not talking big money here. No. Because no. researchers are cheap. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Compared to other expenses. Yeah. 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 for yeah. sale for yeah. cheap yeah. money. <laughs> quality, actually, that, that's the only part in society, I would guess, where quality is cheap. Yeah, that's yeah. research. Yeah, no bias. And, and 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 again, I'm you know I'm providing a very biased opinion about of the workshop. But we did the research, and 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 you told me before you read the study that there is very few courses out there for coaches that have been started from 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 coaches the needs and and th- that have been developed and that are measured for effectiveness and that yeah. our look at. So only that is a good reason for for getting on with it or or work with it. Yeah. Uh, have have you tried to integrate parents into this kind of leadership style or you know parents are influential I know yeah. you know that. Yeah. Yes, I know that. <laughs> and and uh, there's a group uh, in Utah Travis Dorsch uh, that does work with with parents that that is interested to 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 look at the workshop but nobody has done it yet. But I think there would be a lot of potential to have the same kind of workshop for parents. It would be really interesting to have a huge, huge study, uh, <laughs> fully financed, and obs- observe parent behavior yes. around sport and see if if those kind of behaviors, good and bad, can be so like brought together within the four eyes. Yes, and yes, the eleven yes. behaviors. Yes. Yeah, so that's a future study. It is. <laughs> so that is something that you will tell us when you come back in 10 years. But that's not it. Oh, I can come back before 10 oh, years. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and uh, if we round up this uh, session here, I think it's been really interesting. But I have two questions. If we just could just repeat the four eyes. Yep. And uh, after that, because I know you do know these four eyes by heart, uh, yep. I also would like you to uh, give a few short recommendations for coaches that works with kids and youth in the Swedish population. Okay. So the four eyes and you know I'll 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 say the four eye and I'll tell you a little bit of a translation of what it is. So so the first one is idealize inference. So basically as a coach practice what you preach. The second one is inspirational motivation. So the short version is believe in your athletes. Do behaviors that you, that makes that you that 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 makes you believe in them. Or that they feel that way. Third one is intellectual stimulation. Involve athletes in the coaching process. The fourth one is individualized consideration. And that's a person-centered approach to coaching. So people talk about athlete-centered. We say person-centered. So not Because athlete-centered is still an athlete. But person is that, that per, you have a person in front of you. They have needs that are personal. Yeah. And if you... Uh, recommendations. Um, yeah, so I, I I think to me uh, when you think about sport, uh, it's a wonderful activity that has everything that life has. You know, there's competition, there's peers, there's adults, there's interaction, there's there's challenges, there's loss, there's win, there's and it doesn't matter. 
<laughs> that's the beauty of it is that it doesn't matter. But it's such an, a, a wonderful arena. So as a coach, can you make that environment so that you're going to develop better people? So that you're going to develop citizens that will contribute and that will give back to society. That will, you know, in terms of coaching, in terms of if they become professional athletes or whatever. But what do you do as a coach? And I think to me, those 11 behaviors, those, those, that interpersonal aspect, it doesn't have to be those 11 behaviors, but, but really plan for those, you know, plan for those behaviors. Uh, how are you going to, you know, in the next session that you're going to as a coach, you're going to plan your practice, but what, Can you plan, just just make another column in your practice plan and, and think about intellectual stimulation, individualized consideration, and how are you going to communicate that and do that in a practice? Word. So uh, please visit us at uh, wagthedog.se and uh, look at the research Cote and other good researchers are doing in this area, transformational leadership. Thank you very much for uh, being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.